Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. You guys came in ready. Amen. Go ahead and stay standing. Come on, stay standing. Stay standing. We're going to just jump right in it. Try not to make it like Catholic Church, you know, so you're sitting down. Made that joke last week. I don't think I could do it two weeks in a row, so it's all good. All right, so let's go ahead. Let's jump in and read the Word as you remain standing. So excited for what God is doing in this place. Grateful for you all. And I'm believing, man, 9 a.m. was powerful, and I just think it's leaking right into 1030. Amen? Amen. So you guys ready? We're good? All right. Awesome. Let's go ahead. Let's read Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. And I am feeling so stirred in my heart with this message to, uh, I believe God is really going to speak to someone in the room today. I'm, I'm just so excited. So Genesis chapter 41, it says this in verse 37, start there. Now this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Come on. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called about before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Verse 44. Moreover, moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one should lift up a hand or a foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zapneth paneah and he gave him in marriage to Azanath, the daughter of Potiphar of On. I can't believe I did that without messing up. Come on now. So Joseph went over to the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered in the service of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the land produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. Verse 49. And Joseph stored up the grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until it ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all of my hardship and my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God had made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So the seven years of plenty occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. Verse 44, we're almost done. And the seven years of famine began to come. And as Joseph had said, the, there was famine in all the lands. But in the lands of Egypt, there was bread. And when all the lands of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this family. Thank you for our church. God, I pray that you would just continue to move. I pray you would rest on us. And God, I pray that this message 
would speak not just to minds, but to hearts and souls. And, and God, I pray that we would be open to what you have to say to us this morning. We love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name, Thrive said, amen, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and have a seat. Awesome. Well, hey, I, I am so excited to be continuing our Beautiful Resistance series. We are now in the point where Joseph, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's that part of the, the message, it's that part of the timeline where, where Joseph finally made it. We've been walking through it each week, and how many know, like, it's been kind of sad. Like, come on. Like, first he's in, he gets sold, and then he's in slavery, and then he's in prison, right? And, and before I move on, I just, I just want to highlight just a couple things. First off, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to get to do this in a couple weeks. So I want to highlight my, a couple things. First off, my brother Alex, which he, we've kind of brought him in and helped raise him, and this house has helped raise him as well. Uh, he graduated high school this week. Have some family down from L.A. that were able to join us. Bubba, I didn't think you were going to make it, but you did. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. If you don't know who Alex is, you can ask me later, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, it's a miracle. But you made it. And then, and then also, I, I just want to acknowledge her because she's a daughter in the house, Eden Baca, which is Pastor Eric's daughters, from out of town, to in town this weekend. She's over there. I'm not going to put her on blast. This girl, you amazing. Graduated your master's degree at 21 years old. Come on. Come on now. And I don't know if she's single or not, so I'm not even going to go there. But, man, just so proud of you, Eden. Love you so much. She said I am, so there you go. There you go. And we're going to honor a bunch of graduates in a couple weeks as well. But I just had to honor some family that was in the room. And um, I, I wanted to do that because if there's, uh, to correlate it with the message a little bit, um, here we have Joseph's life, and we're in a season of grads. Here we have probably one of the most iconic promotions in the history of Scripture. Joseph went from being the dog in prison to the prime minister of Egypt. Like, like he w before Drake ever said, started from the bottom, now we're here. It was Joseph. Come on. Come on. Like, like was from the bottom, and he made it all the way to the top, and for me, my, my, my heart is stirred this week. Um, how, how many of you ever had just like a rough week? You know what I'm talking about? Like everything went wrong? That was one of my weeks, low key. And so I just knew that, 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 that devil, not today. And so if I'm coming in a little bit hot, I promise it's not about you. It's about me. And I might just be preaching to someone not in the room. Because I just got to say some things. I might be, I might need to speak to a couple demons that be trying to mess with my life this morning. And sometimes you just got to say some things. Or, or, or it's for someone online. That's okay. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and, and, and why, why I, I, I feel so excited to share is because um, as I was preparing this message this week and, 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 and things were going on and, and we're in the season of promotion with grads normally in the month of May, I, I found it interesting in my heart that um, I, I felt tempted to prepare a message that is kind of the typical Joseph message. I'm going to give you a preacher's secret that most preachers have like a palace message ready. Especially when the offering is low. Let me be honest. They got a message like you're going to make it and, and God's got you. And, and it, it kind of has a prosperity-ish gospel to it. And, and here at Thrive, we don't preach prosperity gospel. Um, if you've been following this series, we've been talking about how God lets you go through some stuff. And it's okay. 
And it's all right that God's going to make you through it, but it's okay that he has you there and God's doing some things. However, I would be remiss to preach about the Jesus who is with you when you're sold into slavery, the Jesus who is with you when you're in, as a slave in the palace and the Jesus that is with you in prison. And I would not talk about the Jesus that in one moment God can change everything and take you from the prison to the palace. And so I feel like the message today, although it might feel simple, I'm not talking to minds. I feel like I'm talking to someone's heart. And I believe that Jesus wants to inject some grace and some love and some hope into someone's soul this morning. I feel like my job as the communicator this morning is to allow Holy Spirit to speak to someone who is going through a season that feels like it's over. But I came to tell you today that your story is not over. And because I've had a hard week, I'm just going to preach like it's hot. And so if you're here for the first or second time, I love you. I promise I'm not mad. I can't say I'm not like this every week. Sometimes I am. I know I talk really fast. But I believe that more than just the communication this morning, that God is speaking to you through worship, through the lobby, through everything that's happening here at Thrive. And so here we have in this story, Joseph, he finally gets out of prison, gets sold into slavery at 17 years old, and for the first time in his young adult adolescent life, he is now in a place where he has been promoted by God to be the first real prime minister of Egypt. He is in authority like no one else has ever had authority. And I can imagine Joseph in this season, he is in a time in his life where he thought probably that everything was over. He has been in slavery and now he was in jail. And, and, and then not only was he in jail, the dude forgot about him that he asked not to forget about him. We talked about that last week. He had to do an extra two years because someone forgot about him. I can imagine Joseph's in the prison and he's just like, God, we ain't going to make it. I can imagine that Joseph's in the prison and he's just like, God, are you even there? And I don't know if you've ever felt like that, where you've had a season in your life where is it like, God, are you even there? God, are you even around. God, are, I, I thought I chose you. I thought I, I, I decided to follow you. I thought I decided to serve you. And, and God, are you, are you even, are you even there? And then out of nowhere, the Bible says the cupbearer earlier in the chapter remembers that there was a man in prison that interpreted dreams. And out of nowhere, Joseph gets sent to the palace and God does the miraculous. And next thing you know, God intervenes in the life of Joseph, not only for him, but for the people of Egypt and everyone else around him. And why is this so important? Because I feel like there's some people either online or in the room that have bought into the lie that you are at your last end. And that you are in such an impossible situation that God cannot do anything else with your life. But what I love about the Bible is this, and what I love about God is this, and, and the story of Joseph really is not the story of a man who did right and wrong, but it's the story of God setting up this man no matter what happens in his life. It's the story of God intervening. 
Listen, the story wouldn't be powerful if Joseph didn't go into the palace. If it just ended like, and Joseph was in prison and he died. That's kind of sad. Where God gets the glory in the story, where God gets the miraculous uh, billboard in this story, right, where people share it for, for centuries, they've been preaching about Joseph, is because God was able to take a man who was at the bottom of society and put him over the nation of, of Egypt. And here's my thing. The Bible says that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that means if God can do it in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what, what, when, when, the old, when the writers would refer to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were, they were talking about how God is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so if God can do it yesterday, today, and tomorrow with Joseph, with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob, with everyone else in Scripture, why can't God do it with you? Why can't God do it with you? Why can't God take you from the place of your greatest despair and take you to a place that is elevated so high that man, only God can do it. Only God can do it. And so I just have a few points that I just wanna, I mean, there's so much in this story, but I, I just pulled and hopefully I think they resonate with someone's heart. So number one, Jesus is the only one who revitalizes our calling. I love that God makes dead things come to life. It's the resurrection power of Jesus. If there's anyone that thought their calling was dead, it was probably Joseph. You get to the point where you're just like, come on, God. What are we doing here? I'm just hanging out in prison. I thought, I thought God, you gave me a dream. I thought, God, you, you promised me something. I thought, God, that you told me something. Anybody remember that when you went to youth camp, when you were like 13 and God told you something? And then out of nowhere, it seems like something has died. Can, can I tell you first, before, before we get into this part, that every single one of you has a calling on your life, whether you like it or not. The Bible says that many are called, but few are chosen, meaning that you have to say yes to the calling, but you have a calling. I remember a pastor said this when I was younger and it like blew my mind. He said, when you get saved, you're in full-time ministry. What we have done in modern church contexts, and, and especially in the Western culture, is we have said that let the pastor be the one that talks to God. Let the pastor be the one that brings people to Jesus. Let the pastor be like the priest and be the only one that connects with God. And, and he's the only one that's in full-time ministry. No, that's a lie from the devil. A mentality of a church that believes the pastorate are the only ones that are in ministry is a demonic lie from the enemy that produces a weak church. <laughs> I didn't say that for service. <laughs> I said that to you though. <laughs> Someone might need to hear it. And, and, and I refuse for Thrive to be a weak church. Not because we're broken unto the Lord. That's a different weakness. I'm talking about a weakness because we believe we have nothing to offer. Listen, family, Jesus did not die for you so you can come and attend church Sunday mornings every now and then. He did it. He did it. I said this before. He did not die for you so he can get visitation rights with you and the enemy. So that way he can have you one weekend and the devil can have you another one. That, that's not what he did. He did not die for you so that way you could kind of give a little bit to God and, and tip the preacher if he did a good job. No, no, no. You have a calling on your life. 
And there is a reason why the enemy hates your guts. Because you have a calling on your life to, to do something in Jesus that no one else can do. Your personality, your gift set, all the stuff. We talk about this in growth track all the time. But, but all the stuff. And, and this is the thing. In the New Testament, this is how it works. Your calling in itself might not be strong, but our calling together makes a wave that reaches cities and nations. It was God's idea for the local church to exist. And in the context of the local church, it's all our collective callings together. You're the only one that can reach your neighbor. I can't reach your neighbor. If I go up to your house and your block with a microphone, I start preaching at your neighbor, neighbor I'm going to get the cops called on me. Bro, they cancel me real quick. Come on, we live in California. Everyone gets canceled. But you can. You, you can at work. You have a calling on your life. So I'm talking to the Christians in the room. If you're not Christian and you kind of came skeptical because your friend kept bugging you about church and Jesus and so far so good. Hopefully you like the coffee and whatever. Don't worry. We'll talk about you and Jesus, at the end of the message, it's all good. We, I got you in mind. I got you. Let me just talk to the people who say they go to church and they're Christians. I know what it's like to feel like my calling died. I know what it's like to feel like the thing that God put on your heart is no longer alive. I, I know what it's like to feel like the promise on your heart is no longer existent. But can I tell you that your story is not over because Jesus can revitalize that calling. And here, here's the thing about calling. God calls you. And then God has to show up with the calling. See, this is what I've learned. That if you have to get yourself there, like a role, uh -uh. if you have to climb the ladder, if you have to shortcut your way into the position that you want to be in in life, if you get yourself there, I'm not talking about hard work, I'm talking about the shadiness. You know what I'm talking about. If you have to get yourself there, then that means you have to keep yourself there. Here's the crazy thing about Joseph, and here's the thing about when you trust your story with God, is that God will let you go through things you don't deserve, like a prison, but God will also put you in places you don't deserve, like the palace. And if God puts you there, then that means God's got to keep you there. See, God can raise anything from the dead, including your calling. Number two, Jesus is the one who restores our time. Oh, man. I feel like that's for someone in the room. The Bible says that Joseph was in jail and in slavery from 17 to 30. And then the Bible says that he became the head of all of Egypt other than Pharaoh. And the Bible says that the famine was going to last seven years and the abundance was going to last seven years. So I just think it's kind of funny that God gave him a 14-year job description that had job security. Come on now. Anybody ever live in jobs or you're taking it a year at a time? That's stressful. And I just think it's a cool thing that God decided to almost in the exact time frame restore the years that Joseph lost in slavery and in prison. Because see, what you and I have to understand is that in Jesus, even the tough times aren't times that were lost. And Jesus is the only one that can restore our time. He's the only one that can give you back the thing you think you lost. I got this image yesterday and I felt super bad because I texted like 10 people here for an hourglass and then no one had one. 
It was like 9.30 when I got this image in my head and TJ Maxx was closed. Devil's a liar. And what I got in this image as I was, I was preparing for this week and, and last night was an image of an hourglass. And, and I think everyone knows an hourglass and mostly they're decor pieces now. And, and what I got was that as, as the sand runs out in an hourglass, uh, the time's up. The time's up. And I, and I feel like there's some people in the room who have felt like your time is up because the hourglass is all the way on the, the, the sand is all the way on the bottom. See, the cool thing about an hourglass is all you got to do is flip the hourglass. And you get your time all over again. The problem is, is you can't flip your own hourglass. But there's a God of the universe who can turn things around. And the reason why Jesus can flip the hourglass is because he is greater than our time. He's outside of our time. Genesis 1, he creates light. Genesis 2, he creates the expanse, meaning he creates the heavens and he creates the earth and he creates distance between the heavens and the earth. Genesis 3, he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. Time doesn't happen till Genesis, the, the third day, but light happens the first day and God exists before all of it. God is outside of our time frame. God doesn't move in 24-7. And this is why some of us have a hard time on God's timing. Because God will move us fast when we want to move slow. And then God will move us slow when we want to move fast. Why? Because he's not moving in our days and our nights. God is the outside of time. He lives in eternity. And since he lives in eternity and he lives outside in the context of time, he's the only one that can restore your time. And I came to tell someone who has felt like this last season in your life or there was a season 20 years ago or 30 years ago that it was a waste of your time and it drained you and it messed with you and it got you stuck and you felt isolated and betrayed and hurt and abandoned. Can I tell you that it doesn't matter the time you lost in the past. God can restore your time now. And one minute with God is greater than 100 hours without him. And God can do something significant with the time that you give him now he can restore your time number three he can rescue your legacy because he's the one who rescues our legacy oh so good and we talk about this a lot as I was thinking about it this week we talk about legacy and kids a lot and I'm not going to stop talking about it because there is an onslaught against this generation there is. If, if, if the enemy can get a hold of your kids, man. And, and, and if you look all throughout scripture, the, 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 one of the core things other than the gospel that is, a, that is a thread interwoven in every chapter in the Bible, in every book in the Bible, is the concept of biblical family that is centered around the presence of Jesus and pursuing him in his way. Family is really important to God because it was God's idea. And whatever's God's idea, it's really important to him. That's why for me, listen, I'll just use this as an example. I didn't like church growing up. Like I liked it and then I didn't like it because I had some funky church leaders. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? And I had to learn to fall in love with it again. Why? Because it wasn't my idea to judge in the first place. I got to love what God loves and hates what God's hate. And God loves the church. The same way that God loves the church, God loves family. 
And in this story, Joseph, because of his years in prison, is not able to start a family. The very thing that is embedded in him in Hebrew-Israeli culture is this, is this burning for, for a family uh, to, to raise his kids in the ways of God. And he's not allowed to have that because of the slavery season he's in. But how many know that God redeems all things? And listen, when he rescues you, He's not just rescuing you, but he's rescuing the next you and the next you. He's not saving just your, line, your, your personhood. He's saving your lineage. He's redeeming the things that are going to come from you for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. God is not interested in just saving one fruit on the tree. He's interested in saving the whole family tree. And what we got to understand is that God rescues legacy. He says that Manasseh, he names him Manasseh because he's the God who made me forget of all my suffering and hardship. And he names him Ephraim because he says, God made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Every time that God called his, or Joseph called his kids names, he was reminded of what God did in his life. He has a legacy. And what we learn later in the, in the Old Testament and in, 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 in Exodus and, 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 and the rest of the Pentateuch and then in Joshua, we find that God finds it fit to not have one of the sons of Israel, Jacob, have a tribe. So that way Joseph's sons can have two tribes. And Joseph's sons end up getting the largest land in the nation of Israel. Ephraim and Manasseh have the biggest territory. Why? Because Joseph contended for something, not for him, but for the next generation. Can you and I get to the point where we realize that God, even if you don't do it in my lifetime, I'm going to believe that you're going to do it in the next lifetime. That God, I know I might not see it now, but I'm fighting for something greater. I'm fighting for something in the future. I might not see it with me, but my kids are going to see it and my great grandkids are going to see it. I'm believing for this. He's the God who rescues legacy. He's the God who rescues our family. He's the God that makes it not just about us, but about something greater. And see, that's why your story's not over. Because you still have something to fight for. You still have something for God to do. You don't know, and you will not know. And you might only know when you're in heaven, and that's okay. Because that's what Jesus will divinely set up in your life. But it will all be worth it. Number four, I got five points. You good? We're good? I'm almost done. I promise. I know. Every preacher gets like three of those. I'm just saying. <laughs> Number four is he's the one who establishes our character. I, I, I love this part of the story. The Bible says that uh, the Egyptians start freaking out when the famine starts, right? There's so much grain. Uh, just imagine like your favorite food and there's just an abundance of it. Like, like it just doesn't stop. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like your favorite thing and it just keeps coming. Like you have an endless supply of whatever in the fridge and you just open it and it's just always there. Someone right now is like, I receive that in Jesus' name. Like the multiplication of tacos right now, God. <laughs> and then the Bible says that all the Egyptians start spazzing out. Because how many know people? Like individuals are smart, but sometimes as a whole, we're kind of dumb people. I'm not saying you, 
I'm saying us. COVID. Don't know why to this day we started hoarding toilet paper. And I'm going to be real. I did it too because everyone else was doing it. So I'm like, there must be this thing. Like the water pipes are going to bust. Like apparently, I don't know, COVID is going to destroy our infrastructure of water all over Lathrop. Come on, right? The Bible says that the Egyptians are, are, are freaking out. Pharaoh, what do we do? We have no bread. Pharaoh, what do we do? We have no bread. Pharaoh, I don't know what to do. We have no bread. And Pharaoh's like, I don't know what to do either. Trust Joseph. This man was in prison seven years ago, and now he's in charge of everyone over Egypt. Because God is the one who reestablished Joseph's authority, not Pharaoh. And I want to tell you, for someone, that your story is not over, even when you feel like you've lost everything, God can reestablish your identity, your character, and your authority. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is even when you did it yourself. Now, I'm not saying it comes in an instant. Sometimes there's some time. Joseph had to go through the process. But even when it was your fault, in this story, that's not the case. But even when it's your fault, God can still reestablish the character and identity of an individual. No one is too lost. No one is too broken. What do we do, Pharaoh? What do we do? What do we do? I don't know. Talk to the guy who was in jail. Apparently he knows. He says, go to Joseph. What he says to do. Just, just do whatever he tells you to do. I love it. Because Joseph didn't have to fight for his place. He had to remain faithful to the Lord. And in a culture and society that would tell you, you have to fight. You have to network. You have to scroll and crutch and, 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 and all the crazy stuff. Because, because you got to make it. And, and, and what it does is it kills the orphan victimhood mentality. When you trust Jesus with your life more than you trust yourself. Jesus says a man finds his life when he loses it. And the man loses his life when he tries to find it. When he tries to gain it and earn it. And, and in this gospel, you have to understand that you just have to do what God called you to do. And God will cover the rest. In the story, Joseph gets a new Egyptian name. I'm not going to try to say it again because I'm going to mess it up. I'm not going to do that. But if you notice, all throughout the Old Testament... There's, there's, total, there's a bunch of name changes, and there's a bunch of name changes in the New Testament. Like, that's a Jesus thing. Like, it's a biblical thing that, that people's names change. And so we, we never again, pretty much in the, Old, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, after God changes his Abraham's name from Abram, we never see the name Abram again. It's always Abraham. Right? Abraham, Abram to Abraham. Jacob to Israel. Joseph to his Egyptian name. Zapapanea, I believe that's his name. Isaac, I guess he wasn't cool enough. He didn't get a name change, whatever. But here's the interesting thing, right? Here's the interesting thing, and I want to get it right. Joseph's Egyptian name is Zapneth Benea. That's what all of Egypt calls him. But all throughout the rest of the Bible, God still calls him Joseph. Because God didn't change his name, the Pharaoh did. And so God will only call you by the name that he designed you. Because, because uh, and what we try to do 
is live by a different name that people called us. And we try to do is live by a name of different people that, that try to tell us that's who we are. And what we try to do is try to claw to this name. We, we try to earn a title. We try to establish our own reputation. But all throughout scripture, even though the rest of the world might call Joseph by his Egyptian name, God says, no, you're still Joseph. You're still Joseph. You will always be Joseph. I will never call you something else other than Joseph. Why? Because that's who I called you to be. searching after the wrong thing sometimes your story is not over because God already designed a story in you from the beginning he's the author and finisher of your faith he's not the God that stops in the middle to take a break this isn't a play where you need an intermission. No, he is weaving and writing every little detail and even when we mess up he makes it work for your good when we come to him and we repent and we say sorry, he's able to say, okay, I, I got it. He named you, he designed you, he formed you in your mother's womb. He, he set you for a plan and a purpose. He created you for the very plan and reason he wanted you on the earth. And, and you think that because there was some things that went down, God's finished? No, God's not done. He establishes our character. He sets us in the right place. And he, and he maintains the identity that we have in him. My last one, I'm gonna close with this. He's the one that redeems our pain. And listen, you might have, you might have been through some stuff. Cause I've been through some stuff. I, I got, I got some stuff. You know what I'm talking about? I think anyone who can relate. And I, and I do not mean this to diminish what you've been through. Suffering and pain is real. What Joseph went through is real. And you might be in this room and you are searching for the answers that you will never get. You are trying to make sense of the thing that happened in your life that just should have never made sense. You are trying to process the injustice that has happened to you by the individuals who were supposed to love you the most and they didn't. Why do I know this? Because I've gone through the same thing. And can I tell you that nothing ever made sense until I met Jesus. And it is in him that the pain makes sense. It is in him that the pain has purpose. It is in him that he's the only one that could redeem the tears of your life. It is in him that he's the only one that can begin to break down the hardness of your heart and your soul. It is in him and it is only in him and I have found no other way. And if someone has another way, come find me. But I've tried to look into Buddhism. I've tried to look into Islam. I tried all the new age stuff. I've seen rocks and crystals and, 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 and mantras. I've, I've researched religions of the world. As a teenager, I remember thinking, God, if there's another way, let me find it. And again and again and again, through all the pain and all the hardships what did God do? Bring me back to Him because it was only in Jesus it was only in the cross it was only in the gospel it was only in the resurrection that all the stuff of my life made sense
I wonder as Joseph is driving, riding, because there weren't driving back then, riding in the Rolls Royce of the Pharaoh's chariot. He's clothed in proper attire that was always supposed to be what he was supposed to be wearing. A signet ring for royalty, clothed linen that represents the priesthood, represents his connection to God. A chain around his neck that represents the civil authority, the governmental authority that he knew the dream he was always supposed to carry. Finally, the first time in his life since he was a teenager, his external reality looks like the thing that's in his heart. And he's driving, or he's riding. And I just get emotional because he's riding and, and they start bowing to him. They start shouting, bow your knee. Bow your knee to this man. And I can just imagine as he's in the chariot, riding around, what is God saying to Joseph's ear? And Joseph's like, it, it's real. It's real. The dream's real, it's real, it's, it's happening. The dream's real, you, God, you were right. I knew you were right, but I didn't know if you were gonna be right. God, I, I, I thought you, I, I trusted you, but man, I had my doubts. God, and, and I could just imagine Holy Spirit is with him and he's saying, Joseph, I told you I got it. And Joseph starts understanding, oh my gosh, it all makes sense because if I didn't have the dream and I didn't go into slavery, then I wouldn't have ended up in Egypt. And if I wouldn't end up in, in Potiphar's house, I would have been sent to the royal prison. And then if I wasn't in prison, then I wouldn't have hung out with the cupbearer and the baker. And then I wouldn't have been able to interpret the dream. And, and if I was able to ever interpret the dream, then I was never able to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And if I was never able to interpret Pharaoh's dream, I was never able to make it to the palace. God, you were right. You redeemed it all. All of it made sense. And, and I know that it hurts and the pain is real. But can I tell you where freedom is in Jesus is when you begin to understand that God can heal you from your past and give you pain, give you purpose from the pain of your past to launch you into your future. That someone in the room or online needs to understand this, that you might think it was just because God hated you. No, it's because there's a bigger plan that God has in mind and that God today and forever redeems the pain of our life. He redeems it. He redeems it. He's sovereign. He's holy. He's above all else. He's bigger. He's greater. He's the thing that is above all other things. He's the God that's above all other God. No one competes with this man named Jesus. He's the one that everyone in scripture points to. He's the one that other people from all over the world, millions of people worship. Why? Because he's the only one worthy of it. And he's the only one that can take our little, feeble, broken hearts with all the cracks, with all the hurt, with all the pain, with all the toxicity, with all the brokenness, and mold it and shape it into something new. wanted to know what God wants to do with you. That's what he wants to do. He wants to take your little heart and he wants to redeem the pain. And he wants to help you make sense of it. And he wants to launch you into your destiny. And he wants you to trust him, even though it doesn't make sense. 
you don't feel it. Do me a favor, stand to your feet. Come on, stand to your feet. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.